0: Uh, known as the fight of the century. In March 8, 1971, Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali faced a battle. It was, it's widely known as the most publicized, publicized sporting event in history. It had a national audience, but it also had an international audience. It was the first time that two undefeated boxers who had held or did hold the heavyweight title fought each other. It lasted 15 rounds, and Joe Frazier won by unanimous decision. They would go on to fight two more times, and Ali would win those. Let me ask you a question. Who would you say your greatest battles are fought against? Some of you would. Say, I was, it was a childhood enemy. We used to fight all the time. We got into some good ones. Some of you would say, No, actually, it was a fight I got in one night. Maybe I had a little too much of something, and we both got worn out pretty good. Some of you would probably say, No, it's my ex wife, it's my ex husband. We used to fight all the time, and some of my greatest battles were against them. And some would say, It's my kids. Like, they're hard-headed. I can't get through to them. Some of my greatest fights, my battles, have been my kids trying to get them not to do stupid stuff. But I would say that for a majority of us, it goes a little deeper than that. probably goes a little more personal than that. I think, and what I've noticed about myself and the people that I talk to, is that oftentimes our greatest battles or with ourselves. And I think I think it can play itself out in a lot of different ways depending on your context, depending on your age, depending on where you are. Some of us fight battles over the behaviors that we have that we hate. And so maybe there's this this thing that you find yourself repeatedly doing, and it drives you crazy. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's an addiction. And every time you do it, you swear to yourself, I'm not doing this anymore, don't you? But you continue to battle it. For some of us, those battles are over mindsets that we've had. They're over our thought patterns. Maybe you're one of those people, and maybe you've met some of those people, that on a sunny day they find the one cloud in the sky, Maybe your battle is that your mind always takes you to worst case scenario. Your battle is that you always have negative thoughts and you believe things in your mind that are lies and you know they're lies, but yet somehow you tend to think more about the lies than you do the truth. For some of us, maybe it's the battle over insecurities that we have. Anybody have any insecurities? And so... We've had these insecurities, maybe it was because of an experience from the past, maybe it was the way that we were raised, but we have this thing inside of us that we don't like, that we try to keep everybody else from seen, and we try to, to deal with it any way we can, and we've even built these systems around our lives to try to hide those insecurities. We even filter our social media posts in a way, and we take the picture 18 times because we're battling these insecurities inside of us that we can't seem to get rid of. Some of us today have been battling and had this internal struggle for so long, you don't even know what it's like to live in freedom, and to live without that battle. The greatest battles that you and I will fight, and if you've lived longer than about six years, you'll figure this out, or within ourselves. Today, I want to I teach for about the next 90 minutes on this subject. I'm just kidding, don't leave. Me versus me. Me versus me. I want to take us to... A really important chapter in the Bible. This is one of my favorite chapters in all Scripture. And and one of the things I noticed as I was thinking through this week is that I think I've said that like three out of the last four times. but I, I love the Bible, y'all, and this, and this chapter is one that I have tried multiple times to commit the whole thing to memory. I haven't quite made it, but there is so much ri- richness in Romans chapter 8. I would encourage you, I'm going to read just a few verses this morning, but I would encourage you to go home. read Maybe read the whole chapter every day this week, because there are some like Highlight reels of Scripture within Romans. Tw- uh, Romans eight. Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things to the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. Uh, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate from Him uh, us from His love. All those verses are in Romans chapter eight, and we're not going to get to all of them today. But I would encourage you to, to to open this and to read it this week. Romans eight is an important. Passage is known as the Declaration of Freedom for a Christian. It's written by the Apostle Paul. If you don't know Paul's story, Paul was what he referred to himself as a Jew among Jews. He was well trained in Jewish ways. And so When this whole movement began that Jesus started, he did not like it because it flew in the face of social, cultural, and religious norms of the time. And so Paul became on this mission to take down this new belief that Jesus was the the Messiah. Back then they called it that they followed the way. And so he began to persecute and arrest and to even kill believers in Jesus until one day Paul is on his way. He's gotten permission to go and persecute Christians and Jesus literally knocks him down, blinds him with the light, and radically changes him in a moment. And so Paul would go on to be the greatest evangelist in history. And he would plant these churches, he would start these churches, and then he would write letters back to these churches and other churches. And one of those letters that he writes to the church at Rome is Romans. But what we notice throughout The letters of Paul and throughout Romans is that Paul is kind of engaged in this struggle himself. He's engaged in this battle within himself between who he was as a Jew, as a persecutor of Christians, and who he is now. It's almost like there was this battle raging inside of him, and so in chapter 8, he begins to discuss this battle of the old us versus the new us, because how many of you know that even though 2 Corinthians 5:17 says you are a new creation when you're in Christ we still have some of the old stuff in us when you accept Christ it's not like all of that old stuff is gone all of the old ways all of the old habits all of the old battles all of the way old struggles they don't just magically disappear You don't teach a third grader trigonometry. You don't give it all to them at one time. And so that's kind of the way God works in our lives. It's like once we get saved, we're a new creation. The the cross has spoken to our lives, but we still mature over time. We're still in this process of getting the old us out of us. So he starts this chapter with a declaration about who we are in Christ. And if you want to memorize one verse this year, I would recommend that it's this one. Romans 8.1. Paul says, so now, other translations say, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I could pray and shut the whole thing down right there, and you've gotten what was worth your price of admission. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to give us three different battles that I believe we fight internally as we wrestle with the old us versus the new us. And then I wanna give us some some declarations to help us win those fights. It's a great day to take notes if you're a note taker. This is the first battle. What I've done versus who I am. Do you ever battle with your past? This is Springwell, I know the answer to that. Do you ever battle with your past? Because some of us, we we have a, a tough past. Some of you have a tough present, right? We battle with our past. Some of us went to some, some tough places. We hung out with some tough people. We, we hurt a lot of people. We did a lot of things that we're still paying the price for. Some of us in this room did some really tough stuff. And what I've noticed is if we aren't careful, we will allow what we've done to keep us from being who we really are. If you aren't careful, you will allow your past that you've experienced to keep you from experiencing the joy and blessing of who you truly are in Christ. Some of you fight that battle every day because you don't feel worthy because you used to do that. And maybe you're still paying the price for that. There's still some consequences for that. And so now you live with this internal struggle because of what you did in your past. And if you aren't careful, you will allow it to rob you of all that Jesus has for you right now. I love that Paul starts out this chapter By telling us who we really are as believers. Did you know that if you have a relationship with Jesus today, your past does? Not define you, if you have a relationship with Jesus today, you do not get what you deserve, because of the amazing grace and mercy of Jesus. you are not who you used to be, you are no longer the the, 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 the sinner, the alcoholic, the adulterer, you are no longer who you used to be now, because of Jesus, and because of this amazing promise that he offers us now, you are son or daughter of the King. That's who you are. There's no condemnation for those who have surrendered and have their lives planted in the grace of Jesus. I want to clap for myself. Because that's good news. The world doesn't give us that kind of news. The world says your past does define you. The world world holds you accountable. They will cancel you for something you said 12 years ago. And here Jesus is stepping on the scene and he says it doesn't matter. Because there's no condemnation for those of us that are, that are in Christ Jesus. And this is the real danger of us as believers having this I'm a poor sinner mentality. You ever meet people like that? Who just, even though they have a relationship with Jesus, they still just kind of mope around, well, I'm just a, I'm just a sinner. That is true. Even after you have a relationship with Jesus, you're still messed up. You're still broken. You still have some things in you that need to get fixed. But that is not who you are. You may have 99 problems, but your relationship with Jesus ain't one. And so we can mope around and saying, I'm just a poor, poor sinner, and you are still a sinner. But according to Romans 8.1, it does not define who you are. There's now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, it's finished. Jesus says, it's finished. That's your past. That's your present. That's your future sins. And can I just tell you where I battle this the most? It's like I can forgive myself when I don't know better. But when I know better and I'm still doing the same stupid stuff, that's when I have trouble forgiving myself. Anybody else? Like some of us, we have an easier time forgiving ourselves for what we did before we met Jesus or before we we got our lives together. But the problem, the battle that I fight is that I'm still messing up. A couple of years ago, our little son was probably about five or six years old. He comes home from his after-school place one day. And he looks at us plain as day and drops the F-bomb. he mispronounced it. So after we teach him how to pronounce, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And so after we pick our jaw up off the floor, because he didn't hear that in our house, I can promise you that. He may hear some bad stuff, but not that one. It's his mother. Um, (laughs) After we pick our jaw up off the, off the ground and we ask him like, dude, where did you get that? And you know how it is as a parent sometimes, like, you're secretly laughing, but you're trying not to laugh because you know it's just going to encourage the behavior. So we, we, we talk through it. Now, do you think we punished him? No. Why? Because he didn't know what he was saying. He was just repeating something that, that he had heard. And so I think our struggle is if, 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 if we don't know any better, then I think we have an easier time processing our sin But when we know better and we're still sinning, what do we do with that? Well, according to Romans 8, Paul says, I know you still mess up, but that's not who you are. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're standing with Jesus. You're standing in Christ Jesus does not change based on what you do. That word condemnation there comes from the the Greek word katakrima." And it's a direct reference to God's divine judgment or the condemnation or the damnation that we should receive because of our sin. And Paul comes in, and he tells these Romans, and he's telling us that nothing can condemn or damn us anymore. There's absolute security because of your relationship with Jesus. Now, no condemnation doesn't mean you will never sin again. Notice it doesn't say there's no mistakes for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no mess-ups for those that are in Christ Jesus. You will sin, and that is a fact. And here's the truth. Let me just be honest with you. There will be consequences for your sin. There will always be consequences for your sin, but because of Jesus, there will never be condemnation because of your sin. So you will not have to walk around Worrying, have I lost it all? Am I going to heaven when I die because of the sin that I face? No, there is consequences for your sin. People will get hurt. You may experience some things financially. You may experience some issues. There are consequences, but there is no condemnation. Your standing with Jesus never changes. It's what I've done versus who I am. So how do you... How do you win this battle when the enemy's whispering lies to you, and this may sound familiar to some of you, that you haven't changed a bit? That what they say is true? That you should be better than this by now? How do you win that battle? Here's a a phrase you can write down when you start to think that. You can say, I win when I remember who I really am. When you live with the awareness of who you really are as a follower of Christ, and you can let that sink into your mind and in your spirit, you will begin to win the battle of what I've done versus who I am. Paul continues and tells these Romans in verse 2. He says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Talking about the Ten Commandments, the Jewish law. So God did what the law could not do. Because they couldn't keep it, right? He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Do you see why I love this so much? Verse 4. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead Follow the Spirit. The second battle, what I feel versus what is real. What I feel versus what is real. So on the heels of Paul telling us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul begins to explain this process of how we live this out by following the Spirit. He says, hey, I know who you used to be. I know who I used to be. And I know I still feel like doing those things sometimes. I still feel like doing the wrong thing sometimes. But that's not who I am anymore. And so I don't go that way anymore. How many of you are ever tempted to do the wrong thing? All right, If one by one, if we could come up here and share our temptation, that'd be awesome. How many of you are tempted to go off at the person at work instead of, Having a calm conversation. How many of you ever tempted to hit your husband instead of talking to him? (laughs) Probably shouldn't have said that one. How many of you are ever tempted to, to lust when you know you shouldn't? How many of you are ever tempted? Because Paul literally says a chapter before this in Romans 7, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I do what I hate. Does that sound like any of us? Like there's two options, and I want to pick one, but there's something that pulls me to the other side. Can we be real for just a moment? I know this is church, and we may not be supposed to talk about this, but doesn't sin sometimes feel good? Wow, somebody was really passionate about it over here. <laughs> Doesn't it, though? Whether it's, the little, whether it's the little small sins, which we don't call sins. We just call it telling a white lie. Just a little fib. When maybe you tell a little fib to give people an impression of you that's not true. or Or the little the little small things where you kind of didn't spend that on what you said on your taxes, but eh, I still think it'll, sorry, that's too relevant, but I still, I still think it'll work. The, the little small things, when you make a mistake and you go back and you lie and say you had planned on doing it later, or even the big things can feel good, right? I mean, there is an entire Industry, the porn industry is huge because in the moment, it can feel good to live that life and to do that thing. When you're lonely or when you're not having a good relationship with your spouse, it can be really easy. These sins, they're big, but let's be honest, sometimes in the moment they feel good. Or how about the cheating on your spouse when you're not getting what you think you should at home and there's somebody at work that will listen to you? Sometimes, in the moment, it feels good to try to get ahead by just taking a little money off the top. By just mixing up a few numbers. The truth is is that temptation is real and it can feel good in the moment. And temptation never comes from God. No, it comes from the enemy. But here's the thing, and this is the way the enemy works in your life is he will take just a little bit of something that God put there and he will twist it and pervert it to make you do it. In the moment, it feels good. And this is the danger of our culture today, the culture that says, if it feels good, do it. If it seems right, do it. And we've brought this mentality into our relationship with God sometimes, haven't we? And so I really do think sometimes we think, well, God wants me to be happy. And so if this makes me happy in the moment, then this must be from God. This must be the right thing. Paul says, Listen, you have a new you because of this no condemnation. You have the power to do what's right because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and directing you. You have the power to see beyond Satan's disguise and know the long-term effects of what feels like short-term benefits. He says you can walk by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not your slave master. The Holy Spirit doesn't just work in us to try to keep us from having the fun The the Holy Spirit, the the idea there is this adoption. That when we accept Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. And the Holy Spirit comes and seals himself and seals us in Jesus' arms so that nothing can ever condemn us again. And this Holy Spirit teaches us as we go. He's not trying to keep you from fun. but, But you know what we do? We've been adopted into the family of God. We are accepted into the household as believers of Jesus. We are accepted into the household. We can have full rights to anything in the household. And what we do is we will run out of the house and go chase a feeling somewhere else. When Jesus says, I have everything you need. I have the joy. I have the acceptance. I have the love. I have real relationship right here in the house that I have adopted you into. Yet we leave the house like the prodigal son and go searching for something that we had all alone. Because you're new, because you're in Christ, you have the power to live a life that pleases God. Did you know that God's way really is the best way? I think we forget this sometimes. There's a lot of us in this room who have tried both ways. You've tried getting the feeling. You've tried getting what you thought you needed outside of what God had for you. But you've also tried it inside of what God had for you, inside, following that Holy Spirit. And did you know that God's way really is the best way? God doesn't make sin wrong because he's on a power trip. No, he does it because he knows that it steals what's Best. He doesn't make it wrong to keep you from having any fun. No, he knows that he has everything you need right where you are. He doesn't tell us to stay sexually pure to keep us from having fun. He does it to guard our heart and to guard f- the family. He doesn't tell us not to covet what our neighbor has because he wants to keep us from dreaming. No, he tells us not to covet because he wants us to be grateful for what we do have. He doesn't tell us not to hate other people so we can just get taken advantage of. No, he knows that when we walk in In a spirit of love, it honors him, and it really is best. And so Paul says, now, because you are safe and secure in the love of Jesus, you have the power to walk with the Spirit and choose the better thing over the immediate thing. It's beautiful. You can do the right thing when you follow the Holy Spirit's guidance inside of you. In those moments when we're battling what we feel like doing, we need to remind ourselves here you go, you can write this down. I win when I follow the winner. Can I just tell you that weakness does not look like doing the right thing? That is actually strength. It is not weak when you don't say everything on your mind. That is actually strength. It is not weak when you don't repay evil for evil. That is actually strength. I win. When I follow the winner, when I follow the Holy Spirit. And then Paul continues in verse 5 and says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Y'all see how I emphasize those words? It's the battle of what I think versus what I thought. What I think versus what I thought. So how does this all come together? How do I remember who I am and there's no condemnation because I'm in Jesus and how do I follow the voice of the Holy Spirit? It starts in my mind. It really is that simple. Paul knew that our life follows the direction of our most frequent thoughts. It was true in his day. And it's still true in our day. What you dwell on will determine your direction. Did you catch that? I need to unpack that for a minute. What you dwell on will determine your direction. Whether it's you dwelling on the Spirit and following God step by step through your life, leading to a life that's good and in the will of God. Or whether it's you follow the negativity in your mind and it leads to an emotional, uh, anxious spirit. What you dwell on will determine your direction. What's in our minds will always come out in our lives. It starts in your mind. It's a scientific fact. Your neural pathways, the more you think about something, the more entrenched it becomes in your mind. But here's how it works. It starts in your mind. You replay it over and over again. So maybe the lie that's been going through your mind is I'm not good enough. I hear that one all the time and I sometimes believe that one myself. But what we do is we think I'm not good enough. Something will happen. It will reinforce and make us believe again we are not good enough. Someone will look at us a certain way and we will think I knew it all along. I am not good enough. We will sit in that because sometimes it's comfortable to sit in negative thoughts rather than try to get out of them. We'll sit in that, and before long, it goes from our mind to our heart. It goes from our head to our heart. So now, not only have we thought it, but we believe it. It's true. I am not good enough. And as we believe it, it eventually comes out through our hands and the actions that we take in life. Life. What's in your mind will eventually run its course through your life. That's why Paul says the ones who follow the Spirit think about things that are of the Spirit. So it leads to a good question. What should we be thinking of? Well, Paul offers some advice for that in one of his other letters, Philippians 4, 8. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Have I completely lost y'all? Okay, think about such things. Whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if it's excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. So we think the truth, the truth of who God is, the truth of who we are, the truth of who the people around us are. He says, think about things that are noble and right. In other words, what's right and what's wrong. And then he says, think about what's pure, lovely, And admirable. What Paul is saying is, he's saying, I want you to think about things that promote peace rather than conflict. How many of you usually do that the other way around? I just want to grab them by the neck. (laughs) He says, The things that you need to think on. That can be a passing thought because we're people and other people are people. We people in all day long. So that can be a passing thought, but Paul says, No. Think about things that promote peace rather than conflict. If peace does not seem like a trait of your life, maybe it's because you think about things that are opposite so often. If you don't have the peace of God in your life, maybe it's because you don't think about the peace of God in your life. He says, think about things that promote peace, not conflict. Think about things that are positive and constructive rather than what's negative and deconstructive. Think about things that are positive and constructive rather than things that are negative and deconstructive. It can be a passing thought to think, oh my gosh, I am losing control of this whole thing. It can be a passing thought, but what happens if you could train your mind to think, oh my gosh, we are losing control of this whole thing and there could be something inside of your mind that triggers and thinks, No, but God knows the plans he has for me, plans to prosper me and not to harm me. What would that look like? Wouldn't it change our lives? So how do we win this battle with our thoughts? We remind ourselves of this. I win when I think about the right things. Simple as that. I win this internal battle when I think about the right things. And it really does come down to that. So how do, we, how do we win a battle that's bigger than Fraser and Ali? Well, what Paul seems to say is that it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. You're not gonna go out of here this morning. And just because you heard me preach this message as coherent or incoherent as it may have been and suddenly the switch is going to flip and you're going to live in the fullness of joy of what God has for you. No, it happens little by little. How do you win this battle within? You win it by losing some battles and coming back to fight another day. You win this battle of following Jesus by realizing that one defeat does not mean you've lost it all. You win this battle of me versus me. The new you, winning over the old you by staying in the stinking fight. Don't give up. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So because I am not condemned, I am not damned, I am not who I used to be, I will walk a different path. When I get moved away from the Holy Spirit, I will still have my sight set on Him and I will correct my course and I will go his way when the thoughts come into my mind and Satan tells me I'm not good enough I will always be like this it's always been like this you deserve everything you have you're no good you don't look good enough you don't act good enough you don't have enough good enough job look at your kids when Satan whispers those I will stop and I will say that is not truth that is not admirable that is not noble that is not right I win the battle by staying in the fight And can I just give you some assurance that I haven't been doing this as long as some of you. I'm totally aware of that. Fighting this kind of fight, you will have moments of exhaustion. But what begins to happen the more you fight and win is it may be just as exhausting but somehow you have the strength and the peace to fight and win another day. It's the battle of me versus me. Who's gonna win? Every head bowed and every eye closed. There's people in the room this morning and you're still the old you. You haven't been adopted in and so you're still having to look for the things of God outside of the will of God because you're not in the house yet. This morning as I've been talking, I hope I've conveyed to you that the promise of Jesus is unlike any other. It doesn't mean an easy life, but it means a promised life, not just a life here on earth, but in eternity. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you continue to fight this battle inside of you, can we just just end the battle for your soul right now? If You need to ask Jesus into your life. You can pray this prayer. It's just something you say in your head or in your heart, or you can even say it out loud. Just say, Jesus, I surrender. I know I'm still the old me. I still sin. I still mess up. But I confess those things. And I believe that, like Paul says in Romans 8.1, you came because I couldn't do it by myself. So I ask you to come into my life. I believe you are the son of God, Jesus. And I believe you give me the ability to have relationship with him. So I surrender my life to your will. I'm gonna follow as best as I can the Holy Spirit inside of me. But today I know I'm not condemned. With every head still bowed and closed, Eyes closed, whatever. There's people under the sound of my voice this morning, and I just feel this. I didn't plan on this being the thing, but I just feel like you're battling some pretty dark thoughts. And they have moved their way from your head to your heart. And not only are you thinking it now, but you're believing it. This morning, if you've come to the realization that you've been believing some lies, would you raise your hand? I just wanna pray over you. Thank you. If you you don't mind, keep them raised. I wanna pray specifically for you. God, I pray for every hand that's raised right now. God, I pray that the lies would cease in the name of Jesus. We speak to the spirit of deception, We speak to the spirit of condemnation. We speak to the spirit of worthlessness and not good enough. And we declare it's not true in the name of Jesus and that Satan must flee the minds of these people. I pray that you would build them back up with your love. I pray that you would build them back up with the identity that you have spoken over them. I pray that they would would feel a sense of peace and calm and confidence walking in who you've called them to be. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing church. What a privilege it is to be one of their pastors. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you guys. Have an amazing week. There will be people with buckets on your way out today if you'd like to give in person. We love y'all. See you back next week.